just for me to preach it. Four. It says this, verse one. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Nick. Um, You're very generous, but the Lord does work out things in his own way and they're altogether marvellous. They are, and I've lived long enough to see the Lord working in many different ways. And I want to say what a pleasure and what a what, what joy it is to be here this morning um, and to be invited and just having input into, into um, and Nick and then there's young Matt here and also a young guy that used to be here was Ben and so on each Tuesday night we have a, I'm taking them through Bible study methods and we're trying to get through that but there's so many questions come in we don't make a lot of progress at times on the lesson but um, uh, that's just an absolute joy as well. But sitting here this morning listening to your testimonies, listening to your witness of the Lord, my mind is alive uh, with verses and scripture and, and just identifying with the things that you're saying and encouraging us in. And so it's been absolutely a blessing today. Um, um, and for uh, Mike over here, you know, he needs to read um, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 33, and that'll give him clear instruction on taking lotto tickets. Um, It says that the dice is cast into the lap and its every decision is from the Lord. So a lot of people think the Lord isn't into, into gambling, but um, and he's not really, but you only need to take one lotto ticket to, and if you don't win, you know it's not for you and the Lord doesn't want you to win because if the decision is from him, then why keep trying? Like, I mean, um, you're not going to change God's mind on those sorts of things. So anyway, I thought of that, and um, and there was lots of other verses that I thought of too. And I could just we could be here all day, but we don't want to be. Um, and so I want to say again, it's an absolute honour to open the Word of God before you today, and to bring you the meditations of my heart uh, from the chapter. And this is. Uh, a, a wonderful chapter. It's been a wonderful encouragement to me, and I want it to be an encouragement to you today as well. It's rich with with truth. Uh, it's rich with undivided devotion to the Lord from the psalmist, 
and we'll learn a lot from it, encouragement from it. And so thank you, Nick, for reading it to us. I asked Nick to read it, um, and so we can now get really into the chapter. And I'd like to help you understand it, and it's got three divisions in the chapter. The first division, verses 1 to 4, is the blessings of dwelling, or the blessing of dwelling in the sanctuary of God. And we'll unfold that under a couple of headings. And then the next section in that chapter is verses 5 to 8, and that's the blessing of drawing uh, uh, on the strength of God. And so we'll read and understand under two or three different headings there just how the psalmist draws strength from God. And then the last section is verses 9 to 12, is the blessing of delighting in the service of the Lord. And it's good to understand a little bit of the the setting of the psalm here. It's a, a vital psalm. Um, and here it's the picture, or it really is describing the the thoughts of a, a of the psalmist who's living a long way from Jerusalem. It could be up to 500 miles. That's probably the furthest point from Jerusalem that you could have been in Jerusalem, uh, in Israel, I mean. And uh, in its autumn time, and it's a time of festivities, and it's when all the farmers, and they were all farmers, they would bring all their produce and, and they would bring and make a sacrifice to the Lord and give thanks to God. And it would be a whole week of festivities in which they would have. It was the highlight of the year for the children of Israel. And every family would head to Israel at this time to worship God where the temple was. And so here he is contemplating the journey and for the mums, I'm not sure that would be that easy because if you can imagine the whole family going, but not just the family, there'd be the servants and things like that going. There'd be a camel train probably and all the other pet animals because nobody's left behind to look after them. And I'm not sure they had a pet service or whatever, but if you can imagine just packing up. You know what it's like when you're taking your children on holiday just for a week or something? They would have been gone. It would have been a week's travel there. Then you've got a week there. Then you've got to go home again. You, you know, if you're living that far from Israel. And so it wasn't no small journey. It was a huge journey. And they were going to worship Yahweh. And that journey would not have been easy, you know, grizzling kids, hungry, uh, you know, fleas on camels and things like that that you've got to contend with. And it was all, you know, we know what it's like in a car, let alone having to go by camel or whatever else it was. So it wouldn't have been an easy journey. But you know what? Here's the psalmist, and he's picturing himself. He has his heart set on traveling the highways to Zion. And the title of the message, I've entitled it uh, today, is the Set Your Heart on the Heavenly Highway. It's the uh, lesson for us from the whole overview or the picture of this psalm. And the theme is, uh, within that, is that the person who trusts in God is blessed. The person who trusts in God is blessed. Well, we all know that we're blessed, but we're going to look at how we can be blessed and how the Lord blesses us continually in the journey. And so here, let's come to the verses, the first section, 1 to 4. The blessing of dwelling in the sanctuary of God. Picture the psalmist. He's thinking about dwelling there. 
He's a long way from it. He's thinking about the journey, but he's thinking and he's transporting his mind right up to Jerusalem at this time. And so he's blessed because his heart is focused there. Even though he's a long way, his heart is focused there in verses 1 and 2. And he'd written this with deep passion and longing for the sanctuary of the Lord. That's where he longed to be. He wanted to know and experience, yet again, the blessedness of worshipping Yahweh. He obviously knew the temple well. He knew the dangers and the hardships on the journey there. And he knows the blessing and the joy and the contentment and the fulfillment of worshipping God when you do get there. He's experienced that. He's longing for it. And he says, how lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed, even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy in the living God. Now, no doubt, the temple was absolutely beautiful. It was absolutely majestic. It was a replica of the temple in heaven that God had given directly to Moses and later on we know to Solomon. He repeated it. And we know that kings and queens from all over the world traveled to see the glory and the beauty of the temple that Solomon built. The temple that the psalmist was going to, I'm not sure because the timing of it is not clear as to when the psalm was written. Um, it could have been after Solomon had built his temple, probably was. And so, but his heart is not taken up with the external beauty of the temple. It's not the aesthetic beauty. What he longed for was to worship God there at that place because that's where God dwelt by his spirit. That's where God was. The Shekinah glory was there. And he says his soul longs. It means his heart, his soul longed, his heart fainted for such yearning and desire for the Lord. It was consumed itself by burning is the meaning there. And the true desire of that longing was my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. And that's what we've been singing about this morning. He's alive. He's alive. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And so he's yearning for the living God. And you know what? My mind then transports right through to Revelation. And remember... Um, John also sees the living God in the heavenly uh, temple or in the courts of heaven. And what does he cry out? He says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The beauty and everything that must have been there is not mentioned. It's Christ that's mentioned. He's the same as the psalmist. And so I don't want to rush into application on all of that. But, you know, when I read that, I'm thinking, how's my heart? Do I long and yearn for the courts or for the worship of God as the psalmist did? And so there's a reality to God that the psalmist knew. And there's a reality 
to God to which you and I know through faith by the Spirit in the living God. Even more so than what the psalmist had. Because we understand God through the person of the Lord Jesus. And, you know, it's sad to say that there's a lot of people today uh, worshipping a dead Christ or historic Christ. But you and I today, and I've heard it here this morning, we worship a living Christ. What joy is ours? How blessed are we when we worship a living Christ? See, the Apostle John, he saw the Lamb of God and his vision, and he was taken to heaven in the book of Revelation. And the Lamb of, the Lamb of God that was slain for the sin of the world, he sits on the throne in heaven. He's the one who, he sees the one who was promised to come again. And John writes, desiring that everyone believes in this living Christ so that we can all enjoy the eternal realm and reign of Christ. He wants us so we can have fellowship even with him, even here today. And we don't need the sanctuary to find God and to worship him because God has changed his dwelling place. And, you know, there's even lots of application within that. Well, the psalmist was longing as he thought about what he was heading to. He was longing to worship God in that temple, and he was taken up with the Yahweh who dwelt in the temple by his spirit. That's where he dwelt. We haven't got a temple to go to. But you see, the spirit of God has a temple. It's us. And isn't that so true? When we let Christ shine through our lives, who are others drawn to? When a fellow Christian says, oh, that lady is so lovely, they're not talking about, or that man is, what a great guy. They're not talking about his physique or his how he looks or, or whatever. It's nothing to do with that. It's always how Christ shines in that person, and that's what they're attracted to. So you and I are the temple of the Spirit of God. And collectively, where God dwells by his spirit in the local church. And you see, and so we radiate out exactly what Solomon Temple's radiated out. That's where you go to worship God. And so his dwelling place is amongst the Christian people, in the Christian people and in the local church. And every person who has received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord of have, have, have the Christ or have Christ living in them and they become the temple of the living God. How good it is even when we look after the temple and as our sister told us this morning, to live up to what we've been called to. Oh, vital message. And I'm thinking, oh, she's preaching my message today. <laughs> you know, this is, this is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And so... Not only that, but it's our highest occupation is there in verses 3 and 4. Look at this thing about birds. The bird has found a house and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God, my King and my God. See, in this verse, as he's sitting back on his farm and he's thinking about the journey and he's thinking there's an injustice here. 
I'm way a long way from the temple where I want to go and worship the Lord. But even the swallow or the sparrow, I'm not sure what your translation is, but it, it's more blessed than what I am. It comes and goes and, and, and it can even build its nest and probably a swallow, but on the side of the building and it can rear its young and they can come and go absolutely freely. I can't even do that. And so he's feeling a little bit jealous about the bird. And she could have her young and everything there. How wonderful it would be to stay in the temple of God and to raise your children to come and go and to be there all the time. That's what the psalmist is thinking. And he longed to see the altars of the Lord. And those altars would have had an animal slain on them, probably awful, bloody, dirty. They, you know, But he longed for them because of the sacrifice, the sinners covered. And we can identify with the psalmist there. We don't long necessarily to see the cross, but we long to see the Savior, our sacrifice. And he's going to be forever, eternally, with the nail prints in his hands reminding us of the sacrifice. He's going to be forever the lamb slain, John tells us in the book of Revelation. And we're going to be like Thomas when we see him. We're going to fall on our face and say, my Lord and my God. We're not going to say, oh, your altars, O oh Lord. <laughs> But that was the reference for the psalmist, but our words change. We're going to say, my Lord and my God, even as Thomas did. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever praising you. You see, the role of the, of the people that were servants within the temple, they, were, they bracketed the day with singing praises early in the morning and also in the, at the end of the day. And they were always singing through the day. There was a continual choir of praise on going on in the temple. We can read about that in Chronicles chapter 23, 1 Chronicles. And the psalmist considers those people were highly favored. He considers it the ultimate honor to be in the temple. They're praising the Lord continually. It's a life filled with adoration to God. It's a life of praise and blessedness. It's unequaled uh, living in terms of being in the temple continually praising the Lord. That, that was the highest occupation that he could imagine anybody could ever have was to be a servant in the temple of the Lord and singing praises all the day. This, this psalmist loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. And Peter... He understood, I think, what the psalmist was saying, and he's writing to the Christians who are under incredible suffering. And isn't that amazing? We've talked about trials even this morning in the testimonies given that our focus is to be on Christ. And here Peter is writing to the people under a tremendous persecution. And this is what he writes. And he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's not a lot of difference between today and then, was it? Way back in, in the summer's day. You see, we don't see him. Through the eye of faith, we see him clearly. He's our savior. He's our sacrifice. He's the one that we come to worship. He's the one that lives in us. And this verse that Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8 is that, is that it describes us. We haven't seen him, yet we believe in him. He's not here, 
But through the eye of faith, we see him, and we are filled with inexpressible joy in worship, even as we have sung today. What beautiful songs we've sung today. Beautiful words of worship. And I think that verse describes us today. What we're doing here this morning, the psalmist longed and yearned to do continually. We don't have to go to the temple to worship, but we, he, he's with us continually. That's absolutely incredible. Well, now we come then to the second part, second, second section of this chapter. It's the blessing of drawing on the strength of God. After he's, the psalmist has thought about all the stuff that goes on at the temple, he starts to think about himself now too. And he realizes that he's not, the birds aren't the only ones that are blessed and the servants in the temple aren't the only ones that are blessed, but he's also blessed as well. He's like saying to himself, hang on, they're not the only ones that are blessed. I'm also blessed as well. And so under a couple of three headings here, the person is blessed who takes refuge in God, whose heart is wholly set on Zion, is what he's saying. It's verse 5, he says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. So the person who's on the pilgrimage, heading towards Zion, he's also blessed. And he appreciates, the psalmist appreciates that even though it's 500 miles to the temple and from the altars of God, that he's blessed because he's on pilgrimage to Zion. He's privileged, he's had the privilege of experiencing that journey before, probably. He's had the privilege of drawing strength from God so that he reaches there. He's a pilgrim heading to worship. He's also blessed. That's what God wants of him, is to head toward Zion, to head toward worship. And look at what verse 7 says. He says, as in great encouragement, he says that everyone who steps onto that highway, this is huge encouragement for the Christian today, everyone that steps on that highway to Zion makes it. It says that in verse 7. They go from strength to strength and every one of them appears before God in Zion. What an incredible promise for the Christian today. If you're born again, if you're saved, you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you've got the sacrifice of Christ who's atoned for your sin, then you know what? There's a guarantee from God, even back in the Old Testament, that you're going to reach Zion. You're going to reach the heavenly Jerusalem. You're going to reach the heavenly temple. You're going to be right where Christ is. What an incredible promise for all of us. And, you know, as I get older and my hair gets grey out, promises like that are going to be fulfilled soon. <laughs> it's, we're going to get there. And there's, there's the promise. He says um, in, in verse 11, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Blessed are those who trust in God. You see, God honours and strengthens those who trust in him. Well, just touch on some application for us again today here, this morning with this little point here. Every Christian is on the highway to Zion. But sometimes we fail, we lack strength, we get discouraged. 
And sometimes we stumble on our walk. We falter, we fall. Well, the psalmist is saying, set your heart fully on God. And even if you do stumble and fall and fail and you meet the trials on the way and sometimes you don't make it like you wanted to make it, you're still going to reach there. You're still going to reach there. And even as I heard the testimonies this morning, I thought of a verse in, I thought of a verse in um, 1 John chapter 4. Um, 1 John chapter 4, um, verse 17. This is what it says. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. If you're a born-again Christian, you love the Lord, you've got your heart set on Zion, the Bible here, John is saying that God is love and we're in God and God is in us, and so love is perfected amongst us so that in the day of judgment coming, we can have confidence. Why? Because it says, as he is, as who is, as Christ is, so are we in this world. How is Christ? You know, Christ has been judged for the sin of the world. He found to be absolutely perfect. He's perfect. He's fully accepted by the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He's God himself and the flesh. He is the expression of God in human form. He's perfectly accepted by the Father, and the Father will always look toward his Son. His Father perfectly accepts the Son. And so as he is, so are you and I in this world. You know that God accepts us equally as much as he accepts the Son. You know, you and I are as perfect as what the Son is. I'm not talking about the S-O-N. As the Son of God, he's absolutely, righteously, holy, perfect. And the Bible tells me in John, or John tells us, by the Spirit of God, that as he is, so you and I in this world. So even when we falter and fall on the, high, on the highway, he's still going to make sure we reach there. We're going to get there. And he's going to care for us on the way. We're blessed people, even in the trial even in the hardship, we've already got the promise that we're perfect from God's perspective, even though we still sin. God accepts us because we're in the Son. And here, God wants us to put our faith and trust in him. If your heart is right, and God will strengthen you, and you'll receive strength from God when you ask for that. The Christian is the most amazing life, or the Christian life is the most amazing life. Well, the psalmist walked by sight, and he was heading to Jerusalem, in which he had seen the Christian walks by faith to his ultimate home. And in some verses in Proverbs 3 and verse 5 and 7, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. And do not be wise in your own eyes. Now you mix that truth and that instruction with the psalm of making our highways, getting on the highway to Zion, trusting in God for our strength with the promise that we will reach there because he will make sure we reach there. We mix that together and we're a blessed people. 
God will direct our paths. He'll give us everything we need along the way so that we will reach there. And so he wants our heart to be right. And secondly, here's another blessing. Our highway is rough. So our heart is right. Our highway is rough. Look at verses 6 and 7. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength, and every one of them appears before God in Zion. Well, this is describing the trial. The word baka in Hebrew is the word they have for weeping. It's meaning that the highway or the, the, the journey is hard going. It can be very tough for the family. It's not an easy journey that they're making. It would have been a, a test for their endurance and patience and every other discipline in life. It would have been an incredible journey. There would have been tears and hardship and complaining along the way. And the psalmist too was making a play probably on the words because it could have been referring to the weeping nature of the balsam trees that grow over in some of the valleys in Israel. But for sure, the image here is that it's a place of dryness, a place of weeping. It's a desolate and sterile valley in which they're going through. It's a place of danger and peril. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. See, what happens? Can you just imagine? You're on the journey, and you're looking at your watch, and or the sun, or whatever it is, and you're saying, you know what, it's going to get dark soon, we need to set camp here. And I'm not sure they had motels along the way in which you could just call in and stay, but you would have to set up camp. What you had to do, because you had to feed the animals and give them water to drink, you would have had to dig a well, probably. And so you get about, you stop early, you dig a well, but the early rains also cover the little hollows with pools, so there's a blessing from God. And so you dig your well, and, and if the rains are there, you've got that blessing. It might have saved you digging a well. But you dig it, and then the next day you move on. And you're going to have to do the same again the next night. Hard journey, a lot of work. But you see, when they go, they leave behind a blessing. They leave a well. I don't think there was any osh or anybody around then where you had to fill in the holes or put tapes around it or anything like that. They just had people with common sense in those days that if there was a hole there, you just didn't walk in it. You walked around it. But you see, they leave a well. And can you imagine the family next behind them, coming behind them the next day? They're a day behind or two days or whatever it might be. See, you know, we'll get up to that point and we'll stop. I think that's a good place to rest, a little bit of shelter from the outcrop of rocks. You get up there, here's a well already dug. Isn't that amazing? Oh, praise the Lord. What a blessing. Somebody's been this way before. There's water there. It's filled up in the well. I've, it's, it's all there for us. What a wonderful blessing it was that it would have been for that. And, of course, the early rains again. That could have helped as well. And so the person going before left a blessing for those that travelled after them. Well, it's loaded out with application for us today too. It's so much like the Christian pilgrimage that you and I make to our heavenly home. We face hardships and trials in the Christian life. We experience incredible pain at times, hurt and sorrow, relationships broken. 
There's tears, there's weeping. All of the things that are described even in the Valley of Baca. And it's through those experiences, there's also joys. There's springs of blessing, isn't there? There's the comfort of those who have already passed before you, where you rush to for seeking help. They've got a well in their life. You've got a well in your life where people come and draw from you because you've been there and you share with them. In First Corinthians, Paul writes the same, Second Corinthians, Paul writes the same thing. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. What for? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we have ourselves received from God. You see, we're all wells. We're all blessings to other people. We're a well in which people need to draw from and you need to invite people and let them draw from you. Can you imagine what the joy would be when these pilgrims reach Zion? Oh, and they see their friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. When did you get in? We got in yesterday. Which way did you go? Oh, that's the way. Did you dig that well? Oh, man, thank you. Why, you saved us a lot of work. We had the worst day out. And boy, we come home and we found, stop for the, and here we found a well already dug. You just got no idea what a blessing that was for us. Can you, you know, I'm sure that's what it would have been like in Jerusalem at that time. Imagine what it's going to be like when you and I get to heaven. Are you going to thank the people that were gone on before you, that gave you, you let you drink from their well in this life? We've all got a role to play. You know, there might have been shelter and provisions left and we've, we eat and drink and feed from them. Can you imagine, I want you to just imagine a family heading to Jerusalem over there and they dig a well. It was hard digging and they refreshed and they said, well, you know, we did all this work. We're not going to let anybody else benefit from our work. We're going to fill it in. And so they fill it all in, you know, so that the next person has to go through the... What a miserable person that would be. You know what? I'm going to just tease your mind a little. We can be like that in our own spiritual life. And in fact, we are like that at times when we fail to communicate or write notes of encouragement to others who desperately need it when we know we've been in the same place as them. We haven't held our pitcher of water out for refreshment for them. We actually fail when we, when we, pass, when we fail to pass on comfort that we've received from God in our trial, and we, we don't pass it on to others. God has given you the comfort so that you may comfort others. We effectively fill in every well of blessing that God has given us when we fail to share the gospel with our neighbor who doesn't know Christ. We've got the richest of well. We've got life-giving water, and we don't even share it with others. It happens when we fail to visit the sick and open the word of God and share with what the Lord has encouraged you with. I'm glad to hear it this morning. Here's a verse and a word that's 
been encouragement through the week to you and, and you, you, you've let us draw from your well this morning. It happens, beloved, when a parent doesn't share their experiences of life and share the Lord even with their children, and that happens often. They never have a family altar. They never have a time of sitting down and praying with their children and talking with their children and showing them how God has ministered to them and how God has been important in their life. So often we fill the wells in in our life that God really wants left open so others can draw from. God wants us to be a well of blessing and a spring of blessing to others. To live a life so that others can draw from it continually. That's a rich life. That's a blessed life. And here, thirdly, our hope is real. Look at verse 7. They go from strength to strength, and every one of them appears before God in Zion. Now, that's an incredible promise. And it's a promise that we need to hang on to when we face temptation to give up or whatever it might be. You're tempted to give up or can't be bothered or when God says you love your enemies, no, I can't be bothered. That person is impossible. I'm not going to love them. And we've had that from testimony today, to love. You see, here's the promise. Everyone reaches Zion. doesn't matter how hard the life gets here. There's the promise. You're going to make it. There's no failures because God sees that you make it. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. And that promise can help overcome any temptation that we face. Don't give in. Look to God for your help. You've got the promise you'll reach Zion. Every morning as you get up, fall in love again with the Lord and love him and tell him you want to serve him. Tell him that you want to set your heart on heavenly Zion today and so help me, Lord. And pray the prayer the psalmist cried out. He says, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. You know what God will hear? He'll give you strength. You'll be that blessed person who trusts in God. And you know the strength of God. And you'll know continue in the walk of the highway, rejoicing in God until you reach your heavenly home. And so here's two, to our last point. You know, so there's the blessing of dwelling in the sanctuary of God. There's a blessing of drawing strength from God on the highway while you're heading to Zion, the heavenly Zion. And here's the third one, verses 9 to 12. The blessing of delighting in the service of God. There's some rich stuff in here. The psalmist, at this point, he's reached his pilgrimage. He's now, he's now at Jerusalem. He's walked the highway to Zion. He now appears before the presence of God. And he fulfills the yearning of his heart and continues now. He worships God. He worships God in prayer. And this is what he says. Look at verse 9. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. The psalmist acknowledges the protection of God as his shield. Behold our shield, O God. He's talking to God. He's calling God the shield. He's their shield. And he says, look upon the face of your anointed. Well, this is rich. The anointed in Old Testament days was always the king. And 
When God looked upon his anointed one who was leading Israel, there was favor from God. And when God was always had his face turned toward the king, there was blessing and prosperity. There was restoration of lands. There was victory over enemies. Families increased. Mothers had lots of children. You know, they, um, the crops were bountiful. There was, everybody was fat and filled. And life was good. But when people disobeyed God, when the king turned his heart away from God, as often did, and Saul was the first one, but there was many kings, more evil kings than good kings. God would turn his face away, and what came upon the land was desolation. The woman's worms were, were, were barren, and there was devastation in the land. The enemies would override them and, and conquer them. Hardship, slavery... All of those things would come when God turned his face away from the anointed. And so the psalmist is a right prayer. He said, look upon the face of your anointed. Always keep looking because he wanted blessings. And that's how it worked in those days. Well, we've got the privilege of allowing our minds to travel right down through the centuries to see the one true anointed one, the person of Jesus Christ. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the one that his people rejected. They crucified him. And it was in that time on the cross when Christ suffered. What did the father do? He turned his face away from his anointed. And what for? It's because he became sin for you and me. He turned his face away from his anointed. And evil reigned in that time. But you see, God turns his face back again because he's paid the price of sin. He, the, his son is raised from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's fully accepted. He's paid the price, and he will never, ever, ever turn his face away from his one true anointed son ever again, never and here's the thing. You and I are in who? In Christ. We're in the anointed one. That means that God will never ever turn his face away from you and me. Isn't that rich? His face is always turned toward you and me. He always seeks our good. Even in the hard times, he's seeking our good. He takes all things and works them together for our good, that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Whatever bad is happening, a seemingly bad thing, it's a good thing for us because God is in control and his face is turned toward us, never to be turned away again. Every born-again Christian has that promise that the Father will never turn his face away from us. That is rich. I wake every day knowing and remembering that truth, that the Father's face is turned toward me in what? In blessing, in grace, in favor. We are the most blessed people in all the world. We're on the highway to Zion. We draw strength from God, and the Father never, ever turns his face away from us. What a rich life we have. What a blessed life. And he says also blessing of serving in verse 10. He says, I would rather spend a day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand outside or away from my God. Can you imagine that? He comes to the temple. He's finally there. 
Oh, man, I'd rather spend it being a doorkeeper in God's house than spend a thousand days elsewhere out there in all the wealth and all the richness that's out there. I am far more blessed just being a doorkeeper. And you see, God today, for his house, for his service, for his church, for his people, for the people he indwells, for the place where his spirit dwells amongst the collective group of people, God is still looking for servants. And you and I will say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be clean the loose. I'd rather be working in the kitchen than a thousand days anywhere else. And God is looking for the people who say, hey, let me do that. I'll do that. To serve in the house of God is an absolute honor and a privilege for any of us, and God looks for that. It's better than a thousand elsewhere to be a doorkeeper. Let me do that. And here, lastly, the blessing of receiving. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, verse 11. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. See, he rounds off the psalm again. It's a beautiful construction. It's a chaotic structure here, but it's beautiful how he starts it off. Blessed is the man. Then now, how blessed is the man. He ends it up with the same thing. How blessed is the man who trusts in you. The imagery here is that God is a sun and a shield. You see, without the sun, nothing lives. You can't live without the sun. No plant lives. No animal, nothing will live. We need the sun for growth. And the Lord becomes our sun. He's never too hot, never too cold. He's always there for us. We can't exist without him. Without him, we can do how much? Nothing. And you know what nothing is? It's a zero with the sides rubbed off. It's nothing. We can't do anything without him. He gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Check your walk. Walk uprightly. Live up to what we had this morning. Live up to what God has called us to. How blessed is the man who trusts in you. The person is always praising God. If you trust in God, you'll always praise God, even in the hard times. You know, you'll be where... God turns a dry well into a place of blessing for others. That's what you'll become. And that's a blessed person. The God of heaven will always hear your prayer because you're in Christ. God will always look upon you in favor and blessing. The journey's end is guaranteed by God. You will reach there. One day, serving God is better than a thousand elsewhere. That's a blessed person. God forever looks after them. He's your son and he's your shield. And no good thing will he ever withhold from you. He knows what's good for you and no good thing. Isn't that incredible? See, that's some blessed person. And you're probably, if you're that person, then your heart is on the highway to Zion. I commend you for that. I bless you for that. That's absolutely wonderful. So that's a meditation for my psalm that has meant a lot to me in my life, and I trust you to have been blessed by that. I'd just love to ask the Lord as a blessing on his word. Father, how rich your word is, how blessed we are because we can read it and understand it. 
Father, you don't live in a temple, an architectural building, but you live in us. Father, we are immeasurably blessed. Our path is the highway to Zion, and you promise that we will reach there. And Father, we say thank you. We bless you. Let it be that our hearts are always turned toward you because your face is always turned toward us, never to be turned away. And you seek our good. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.